0: Thank you. You may be seated. In Acts chapter 9, Luke writes the story of Saul's conversion to Christ. And he says, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. And he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. And so he went to the high priest. And he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus. And he asked for their cooperation in arresting any of the followers of the way that he might find in Damascus. And so he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you were persecuting. Now get up and go on to the city, and there you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood there speechless, for they'd heard the sound of somebody's voice, but they didn't see anyone. So his companions led him by the hand of Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days, and he didn't eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, called to him, Ananias, yes, Lord. The Lord said to him, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, and when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision that a man named Ananias is coming in, we will lay hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man's done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everybody who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, because Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to kings and even to the people of Israel and I'll show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went, and he found Saul, and he laid his hands on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he got up, and he was baptized. And afterward he ate some food and he regained his strength. And Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. Hi, my name is McKenna. I've been coming to West Ridge for about five months now. And what I love about this church is that it has provided me so many opportunities to grow in my walk with God. Westridge is my church. Cuz I'm gonna make this place your home. Well, good morning everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, if we were to look through the Bible, we'd see a lot A lot of these encounters, numerous individuals who had these amazing encounters with God. And if we could gather all of those people, just like Saul, Saul, who had this encounter with God, if we could gather all of them in the room this morning and talk with them, my guess is they would all say the same thing. It didn't happen anything like I thought it would. My encounter with God caught me by surprise. Saul was a godly man. He was part of the religious and political aristocracy of his day. And in fact, in his letter uh, to the Philippian church, in chapter 3, he does a little boasting about that. He says that he was the most religious, the most politically zealous, and one of the most faultless people of his day. He was a Jew's Jew, a man's man with a top-notch education and an extremely conservative religious mindset. He had his business strategy, if you will, completely mapped out. He was clear that God was on the side of the Jewish nation, that God wanted nothing to do with this new religious sect that was following this false prophet, Jesus. That's how the Jews felt about the Christians. This new group called themselves The Way, And Paul was on his way to Damascus to round up another group of these Christians and have them thrown in jail and killed. As Paul traveled, Saul, he had no idea what was about to happen that day. That day went nothing like Saul expected. So many of his thoughts, so many of his ideas about God were changed that day. In fact, The whole trajectory of his life changed that day. From the beginning of Westridge as a church, it's been our vision that we would be used by God to help people encounter the radical love of God. To bring about that same kind of radical change in people's lives, just like it happened to Saul that day is foundational to who we are as a church. It's part of our vision statement. And we have intentionally created a safe place here where people can explore and encounter God's love for the very first time. So much so that on any given Sunday, when you're here in a service, there are a lot of people who are either Trying to figure out who Jesus is, trying to understand what it means to have a relationship with Him, and if they want to have that relationship with Him, they're just exploring, or they're in the very beginning stages of a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, you're not alone. You're not the only one in that space, in that place this morning. You're welcome here, and we want you to keep exploring. Keep trying to figure that out, and we're happy to help in any way that we can. And those encounters with God happen not just in that exploring phase, but all throughout our journey with God. Encountering God, communicating with God, walking with God is something that he wants to do with us every day of our lives. And it can happen anywhere. It can happen here at church. It can happen in our homes. It can happen during a walk. It can happen while we're driving. Now, thankfully, those encounters aren't always as dramatic as what happened to Saul. (laughs) It would be pretty rough if every encounter with God left us blind for three days. I've been behind people on 90 that I thought had an encounter with God that left them (laughs) blind. But that's a different story. As I began to look through scripture and examine some of these encounters with God. I began to think about how inspiring they were, how dramatic they were, how amazing they were. And my mind goes down all kinds of rabbit trails when I'm getting ready for a message on Sunday morning. One of which I thought I'd share with you is I began to wonder about my own life. Maybe you've thought this too. Why don't I have encounters with God more? Why is it when I have those moments where God's presence seems so real, so tangible in my life? Why am I so surprised? Why do they stand out as special, amazing, unique in my mind instead of me going, yep, there's God. He does that all the time. You know? Am I alone in that? It's a couple of heads nodding. I think part of it is that we are so busy in our lives. We go at such a fast pace. We crowd out not just these encounters and interactions with God. We crowd out a lot of interactions in our lives. And God is just one of them. Sometimes I am just like Saul. I'm so occupied with my own agenda that I fly by God at 100 miles an hour when he's trying to get my attention. I just miss him. Just zoom right on by. I think one of the biggest barriers, though, for me and maybe for you, has been in my relationship with God through the years, is that my image of God didn't match up with reality. I think sometimes we've done this mashup of God. You know, we've created an image of God from a lot of sources in our life and a lot of experiences in our life, and it doesn't match up with how God has revealed Himself in Scripture and told us the truth about how He is. So we've got this image over here and God's over here, and they just don't connect. So I've tried to think about how to make this memorable, how to illustrate this. And I'm a pretty simple kind of guy. I really am. My wife wouldn't agree with that. But I think I'm a pretty simple kind of guy. So I've gone back to a childhood toy to help illustrate this. Anybody remember Mr. Potato Head? I think it's one of those toys that has transcended generations. Uh, Anybody not familiar with Mr. Potato Head? Seriously? Okay, so nobody in either service isn't familiar with Mr. Potato Head. Even my grandchildren love Mr. Potato Head. Okay, it's gone on for like four or five generations. So I don't have to explain Mr. Potato Head, but by the look on your faces, I have to explain how Mr. Potato Head matches up with your image of God. Some of you are going, this is a real stretch. Okay, so here's what happens. Over the course of our lives, we hear things, we read things, we experience things in our lives. We read a lot of things in magazines and articles, we read stuff on the internet, sometimes we even read the Bible. Uh, We experience things that contribute to our image of who God is. And those things all wrapped together can either help or hinder us encountering God in our daily lives. So here's some examples. Some of us as children had authority figures in our lives. We had people who were harsh. Some of them were even just outright mean. And we transferred the image of that authority figure to God. And it left us with this sense that God is mad at us. You with me? And so we take that image of God, that God's mad at us, and we plug it in. Even though it's not right, we've somehow plugged it in. And even though we've tried to get rid of it through the years, we still hang on to this idea that somehow God is mad at me. We may have heard a message. Maybe you heard messages. I heard these when I was a kid. That God is, it tags on to this one, God is not only mad at us, but he wants to punish us. God wants to zap me with lightning because I've been so bad. Or he wants to punish me somehow. Somehow, the bad things happening in my life are tied to the behavior I've done. You know, i got to figure out why I have cancer. Because it's, it's because of something bad I've done in my life. Or why I'm in financial trouble because it's because of something bad I've done in my life. There's a direct tie to the bad things in my life. And it's a punishment from God. Well, the zap me with lightning thing? Okay, let me just ask you two questions. How many bad things have you done in your life? Okay, we're going to write them down. You're going to hand them forward. I'm going to read them out. No. How many bad things have you done in your life? And how many lightning strikes have been around you in your life? So either God's a really bad aim... Or he's just messing with you, and then eventually he's going to hit you. Well, neither one of those are true. But sometimes we live with that belief that God just wants to zap me. He wants to punish me. And so we pick up that false belief, and we just plug it in, and we go, yep, that's a part of my belief. You know, it's a subconscious thing. We just plug it in, and we go, yep, God's got that as a part of his character. We plug it in. So it becomes part of our image of God. Then one that we pick up that's probably one of the most common ones somewhere we've picked it up somewhere we've latched onto it is this idea that god doesn't want me to have any fun god's the ultimate killjoy i don't know where the idea came from but i hear it from more people than any other idea you know what jesus said in john 10:10 jesus said My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Does that sound like he's here to kill our fun? There's some parameters around it for our safety, for our well-being. He's not here to kill our fun. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, they had parties all the time. They had a party when a building went up. They had a party... When the crops were planted, when the crops were harvested, when a baby was born, when a baby was weaned. I tell people at weddings, when there was a wedding, the father of the bride provided food and drink for people for a week. That is some party. They had a party when the month started. They had a party every week when it was time for worship. I think that would be a great tradition for us, don't you? We not only come to church, we have a party that lasts all day. And we just hang out together. They celebrate it all the time. God commanded a lot of fun in the Old Testament. It's tough to read and find it, but it's there. But somehow we plug in that idea that God doesn't want us to have any fun. Then we plug in the idea that God is distant and untouchable. He doesn't interact with us in our lives. He's too far out there to be real and involved. And He doesn't really care. Then somewhere along the way we get the idea that God's a cosmic butler... He's there to just answer our requests and do what we need him to do. He's supposed to give us celestial performance enhancement. I like that phrase. Celestial performance enhancement whenever we ask for it. But our experience... That's God answering us right now. (laughs) Somehow our experience tells us that his performance is lacking in this role. So we have this belief, but it doesn't match with our experience. So we get all these bad ideas mixed in there, and occasionally we mix some truth in with it, that God's loving and good, but what we end up with is this. We plug all these parts and pieces together, and we end up with this misshapen, freakish image of God that doesn't match up with what the Bible teaches It's one that we've created of God. We get God who's distant or cruel or detached, a God who's perfectionistic or legalistic or a control freak. Is it any wonder we have trouble connecting with a God like this? What's the image of God that's in your mind? Like Saul on the road to Damascus, some of us have to overcome what we think is true about God, our mistaken images of God, if we want to encounter Him today. What I have found to be true about Westridge, and what I think you'll find too, is that it's a place where you can encounter God, the God of the universe, as He has revealed Himself in the Bible, the real God, the true God, The God who wants to have a personal relationship with you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in your life. The God who offers grace and love and forgiveness to everyone through the person and work of his son, Jesus. Now, what I've also found to be true about these encounters with God is that once we've had one, once we've experienced him in our lives... We want to get them down to some kind of a predictable, repeatable formula. We want to get an appointment with God, if you will. They're wonderful. And so we want to get them regularly. So we just kind of do, God, I'll meet you at church on Sunday and maybe a couple times a week at my dining room table. And we find out, like Saul, that encounters with God don't always happen in the way or the time we think they will. God's creative. And he meets us in a variety of ways. They match up with our personality, with the uniquenesses that are within us. Think about Bible characters. He didn't meet all of them in the same ways, in the same times. Abraham. Take Abraham, for instance. Abraham was much more of a ritualistic person, a traditional person. Abraham would meet God in a place, and then he would build an altar. And he'd go back to those places and meet God there. That wasn't how Elijah and Moses worked. They were more activists in their culture. They encountered God best when they were fighting evil and injustice in their world. David was more of a worshipful, enthusiastic person. He was so so into his worship that at times in public worship he would dance naked before God. Now, just pause here for a second. We are not planning to start that worship Team here anytime soon. So just some of you can just breathe deeply and relax, and some of you will be disappointed. Uh, Mary was the classic contemplative who simply found God best when she sat quietly at Jesus' feet. We're all different. Some of us find our most intimate moments with God when we sit and we read. We read the Bible. We read great Christian works. We read church history. Others are moved deeply by worship and singing like we had this morning. Others encountered best by walking in the woods and contemplating God's goodness. We encounter God's Presence and find strength in very different ways. So I can't sit here this morning and give you a one-size-fits-all prescription for how you can encounter God in your life. But what I can give you is some ideas, some tools, maybe three lenses to look through to say, here are some helpful guidelines for structuring a way to encounter God in your life On a weekly basis, some things to think about. One of the things that we need in our lives to help us encounter God is we need spiritual relationships. We need friendships that are deeper than just simply talking about the bears or the bulls or the cubs or the socks or the weather or our kids or our family. We need relationships that are deep enough that we'll talk about our relationship with God, our spiritual growth, where we're struggling, where we're growing. People who will challenge us with that. It's neither wise nor scriptural for us to pursue God apart from a community of faith like that. If you read the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, you'll read the history of the early church. And what you find is this rhythm that developed in the first days of the church that was so healthy. They met together weekly for worship, and then they met together almost daily in people's homes to talk about their faith and to encourage each other to grow. Being a church for them was being a family and growing together, encouraging each other on. It wasn't limited to a -a once-a-week gathering. Our faith and our lives flourish when we are deeply rooted in relationship with each other. One of my favorite books was written by a sociologist, Robert Putnam, who wrote the book Bowling Alone. And in it, he documented his research on our need for human relationships he came to the conclusion through his research that we were simply created for relationships. We need to be together. This is a secular researcher. In his research, he's found that being isolated had an impact on many areas in our life, not just loneliness. It said, he said that, in fact, people who aren't connected to other people are three times more likely to die in the next 12 months of their life. So if you don't have some deep friendships in your life, you're three times more likely to die between now and next Thanksgiving. So, if you don't do anything else this morning, if you don't do anything else as a result of this message, but you walk out to guest services and you sign up for a community group or a serving team, you will cut your risk of dying in the next 12 months in half. That's pretty good news, isn't it? In fact, I think that's going to be the new motto for our community groups. Join a group or die. (laughs) That's pretty good motivation, don't you? It's kind of catchy. It gets to the point. Truth is, we just need each other. It's the way God wired us to help our faith grow, to sustain us. So show up. That's really what it's all about. Come play Euchre on Friday nights. Join the bowling group that's on Friday nights. Get in a community group. Join a serving team. Get involved. Make some kind of an investment to find a place to connect with other people here at Westridge so that you can find those relationships where spiritual conversations can happen where you can talk about deeper stuff in your life. So you need those spiritual relationships. You also need spiritual exercises. Simple things like reading your Bible, praying, solitude, fasting. There are volumes of books that have been written on this. And you may have grown up with a different phrase if you grew up in the church, spiritual disciplines. It's the same thing. There are entire volumes of research and books and helpful books that have been written, more than 30 spiritual exercises out there that help us encounter God in new ways on our own and with groups. The top two, the most helpful ones that you can start today would be simply setting aside a regular time to open the Bible and read and understand God's Word. That's the number one. In fact, Second Peter chapter 2, 1 says, like spiritual infants, crave pure spiritual milk. He's referring to the Bible. Crave pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow up in your salvation. Peter says, just crave the Word. Read the Bible and grow. It's a simple thing to do. Not a compulsive sit down every day and read ten chapters. Just read some and work it into your life. And pray. Those two exercises alone. Will help you connect deeply with God. In your life. Encounter him in new ways. And if you don't know where to start reading. And you want to read in the New Testament. I'd say read the book of Mark. Or the book of James. In the Old Testament read Psalms or Proverbs. Both are very easy to understand. And very applicable to daily life. Spiritual relationships. Spiritual exercises. And then lastly, spiritual experiences. Things that we do with a larger group of people that can provide catalytic opportunities for growth. Last week, Darren talked about serving. So I won't spend a lot of time on that, but just simply to say that serving with other people is one of those experiences that helps us encounter God in profound ways. In addition to that, We can do conferences, we can do retreats, or we can simply do this. We encounter God weekly here in worship services together. Hebrews 10.25 cautions us not to neglect this gathering together because it serves as an encouragement to us in our spiritual growth. And we encounter God in a number of ways when we get together on Sunday mornings. Sometimes it happens through music. I love our worship team here at Westridge, and I'd put them up against any worship team in the country, regardless of the church size. Now, I confess to you, I'm not a music person. I don't play an instrument. I struggle sometimes to sing along. It's just me. Sometimes I just stop and listen because I feel like I'm throwing the person beside me off. I can't clap and sing for more than about 30 seconds. I just am not a music person. But there are times in our worship service when a song touches a place in me so deep, it just moves me. It, it just gives me an encounter with God that nothing else will do. I also remember the first few weeks that we came to Westridge six years ago. And while I loved the music, what drew me in, what touched me deeply at first was the authenticity and the transparency of the teaching. I didn't get shamed and I didn't get guilted. What I got in the messages was someone standing on the stage and not saying to me, you've got junk in your life that you need to fix. I knew that. I knew I was a mess. I've known it all my life. I've been working on it for over 50 years. I didn't need someone to stand up and shame me. What I needed And what I got was somebody standing here and saying, we've all got junk, including me. We all need to work on our stuff together. And then they started talking about their junk, not just in generic terms, and giving real practical help from the Bible. That was different. That was something I hadn't encountered in church very often. And that drew me in. And on any given Sunday, when we sit in this room together, some of us connect deeply with the worship music. Some of us connect deeply with the message. Some connect with the quiet moments around communion and prayer. And just keeping it real, there are some Sundays, for some of you, that you don't connect with anything that happens. And that's okay. We'll catch you next Sunday. It's just real. We connect with God in our worship experience on Sundays. So the big idea here is in our lives that we structure these three things together. We have relationships where we're talking with people about God. And we're encouraging each other to grow. We have our own experiences. We have these experiences that we're doing together. And then on our own, we're working on some exercises with God and the rhythm of those three things help us encounter God throughout the course of our week. We do these things in a healthy rhythm, in a healthy way, because I know two things to be true in my own life and maybe you do too. The first is we can't move away to a monastery and ignore our family and our jobs and Focus solely on our spiritual life. And that's not what God wants from us anyway. We don't get two separate lives. We don't get a spiritual life and the rest of our life. We get one life. And we have to live this integrated life of family and job and spirituality, all of it as one. And God wants to walk with us in all of it. Every step of every day. The second thing I know to be true is this. It's possible to be very busy and very hurried in my spiritual life. Doing lots of good things for God. And still not be encountering God. Not spending time with Him. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to invite God to be with me, to meet with me, to walk with me in my everyday ordinary life. In a healthy rhythm. Pastor and author A.W. Tozer wrote a lot of books pastored a number of churches. In fact, he pastored a church on the south side of Chicago for over 30 years. One of his books, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think he's right. Because what we think about God impacts our willingness to talk with God. To be with God. It impacts our desire to have a relationship with Him. Every day. Or even at all. So what comes into your mind when you think about God? I'll be honest. I lived for a long time in my life thinking that the main thing about God was that He was watching me. So that He could see me mess up. Just kind of a... (laughs) I knew you'd screw up kind of a God. And that was a result of the teaching I'd got as a child and some some of my own junk in my life that I had to work through. It's not who God is. And I had to work through that to be able to have God with me every day in my life. How you picture God How you feel about him, how you imagine he feels and thinks about you can encourage or inhibit your encounters with him. And I can sit here and tell you all day what the Bible says to you about God, how he loves you, how he wants a relationship with you, how compassionate he is, how forgiving, how understanding, how gracious he is. But let me just close with this. And have God tell you in his own words how he feels about you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you hope and a future. You'll call on me. You'll come to me. You'll pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart.